So the same thing. So we go to the Word of God, and the Word of God gives us a lot of attributes of God. And that's why we stayed in the Psalms. If you have a Bible, and the book of Psalms is really where you want to go if you want to learn about who God is. It's the, it's the part of Scripture that has more about who God is as a person, really, than anything else in the Bible. And so, um, so I don't think we got here in Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, uh, it says this. In fact, I'm just going to... Uh, can I have somebody read that for us off the screen? Or you can read off the Bible if you have it. Uh, what you're doing, if you have uh, in page number 5 here, uh, about the third line down, we have the blank. And what you're doing is you're writing about what this verse says about who God is. So who wants to read this? Who wants to read this for us? Yes, ma'am. Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, before God. Okay, so what does this tell us about who God is? He's everlasting. What does that mean? Eternal. What does that mean? Never ends. Okay, never ends, but never began. Okay. Right. There was a there was a, a, a church father. I don't remember who it was. One of the guys very early on in the church said there was not there was never a time where God was not. And I've always liked that because it's not just that God. Exists in eternity, like like in infinity past, infinity to future. He exists outside of time. Like he created time. Time did not exist until God created it. He he is the creator of time itself. Time is not something that he is bound by. We are bound by time. I, I love time travel movies. Do you guys like time travel books and movies? Like it's, it's like a it's terrible, but it's like a, I'm a sucker for that stuff. I am just a sucker. It could be the worst movie, but if it has like a time travel element. I'm there. Okay, I'm watching the dumb movie. My wife thinks it's hilarious. She's like, why are we watching this? Oh, is it a time travel movie? Yes, it's another time travel movie. Why is it so, like, um, why is it so attractive? Well, it may not be to you, but why is it so appealing to our human nature to imagine, a movie, like, a time travel movie or a time travel story? Like, Mark Twain wrote a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. Okay, this has not, like, just happened in the 2000s. This is, you know, familiar... Stuff. Why do you think that is? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, wouldn't it be great? We all have this thought. Wouldn't it be great if I could just change that one decision I made that set me on this course? Oh, I wish I had never said that. Find a time machine, go back in time, and change it, and then fix the problem. We all want to be outside of time. We all want, but we are a slave to time. There is nothing you can do if you just sit there. Time still ticks. You don't have to move an inch. Time will still move. Okay? We're, we're all bound by time. There is nothing... You realize God's not bound by time? God, God doesn't have to... He's not a slave to the, to the second hand. Okay? He created it. He made it. And that is so hard for us to understand because every minute we live, our space and time are content... Are, and because God is outside of space, He creates space and time together. Like, it's amazing when you start thinking about what... He did, and it says, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Before the mountains were born, you gave birth to the earth and the world. Before God, of course, speaking poetically here, he didn't actually give birth to the earth, but he created it. Um, you are God. Okay, what's this, this next one? I think we didn't actually get here last, last week. I forgot about this. But he, I'll just briefly summarize. Last week we said, to declare the Lord is upright. He's upright. He is righteous. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. Of course, him being a righteous God is a major point. Him being righteous. Oh, this doesn't work. Um, can I go back? Nope. Can I go back? Let's see here. 
think I can. One more. Yep. But the idea is that God is my rock. He is my, he's not just a rock. He's not just out there. He's not just somebody's uh, fortress. He's my fortress. I can actually personally have a relationship and have a confidence in God. Personally. It's not just something that's, like, like I didn't go to Winthrop, personally. I didn't go here, okay? So it's not my school, in a sense. I don't have a, per- but you know what my grandmother did? You know what's weird is when I got I got an ID, Winthrop ID, when I started doing this stuff, I went into the office. I said, I'm going to be on campus a lot. Can I have a Winthrop ID? And they were like, sure, why not? And they gave me Winthrop ID. They looked up my last name. Guess who's in there? My grandmother. You know what year she graduated? <laughs> 1939. <laughs> you know? Like she's, or 40, 49, sorry. 1949. Yeah, third, not 39, 49. She's 88 now, something. And she's still in the records here. It's her school. God is our God. He's not just a God that's out there. So, you know, he, is, he can be your God. Um, let's go to this next one. Who wants to read Psalm 99.9? Okay. Hannah? Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy name. What do you get from this? What does this tell us about who God is? He's holy. That's not a word used every day. Some people use it in the first part of a curse word. But... Holy, what does it actually mean? Yeah, it actually has the idea, that's a good way of saying it, has the idea of being set apart, being special, um, different. I like to give the illustration of if you have a, um, in our house we have a birthday plate, right? And if it's your birthday, you get the birthday plate. It's your birthday all around the outside and it's really colorful. It's a, holy plate in the sense that it is set apart specially for those who have birthday. What he's saying here is that God is not like us. I mean, he is in some ways, and we're like him more than he's like us. But, but you know, he's different. We're frail, we're feeble, we're limited. He's not. He's creator, we are creatures. There's a huge difference. He's holy, and a part of that holiness is the law, the, the lack, of, lack of any kind of in, um, impurity. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. There's like three. What do you say? It's pretty easy. Gracious, gracious meaning that meaning what? I keep asking, what does this mean? Because we just throw around words and we don't often like unpack them. Gracious means like what a gracious gesture. Patient is, a, is is how that works out sometimes, but it has the idea of giving. So if you give a lot of slack, like if you give a lot of um, slack, it's going to work. Giving more than just like expected. Yeah, not being harsh with people. You're gracious. You allow them to, you know, make mistakes or whatever. You're gracious. He's gracious and he's righteous and he's compassionate. God is compassionate. Compa- compassion is a love that gives. God is definitely a compassionate God. Um, I love this. Psalm 119, uh, 68. Getting close to the end here. Uh, anyone have this one? You are what? You're good. And this is something that, if you can learn this about God, it will transform your life. You know, most people struggle in their life, especially this age, your age group, 18 to 24. Most people in your age group struggle with the idea of God being good, God being powerful. So, 
Some people say, uh, you go through a hard time, you say, I, I think God's just mad at me. God doesn't like me. He is, he's angry. He is taking it out on me. He's putting me through this because he looks at my life and wants me to be miserable. Okay. Maybe you've had somebody in your past who treated you like that. I don't know. But some people have this view of God. Some people say, well, God, he just can't handle it. He doesn't know what he's doing. He loves me, but he can't handle it. You know, the Bible teaches that God is both good and he's powerful. So whatever he allows to happen in your life, although it may seem like the worst thing in your life, you know that God is allowing that for a reason. There's no purposeless pain. And, and you, may, you may say, well, I've lost a brother. I've lost a brother. My, little, my, 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 my mom, mom had a baby, stillborn. We, we had a death in our family. I had members die. I've had lots of pain, things like that. That's hard. It is. You know, God grows you through everything, no matter how difficult the situation is. If you, you, can, you can choose to, to, to respond the right way. And when you see God as good rather than as evil, it transforms your life. Um, there's a lot that could be said here. I've counseled a lot of people in my office one-on-one, and a lot of times it comes right back to this. Do you believe God is good? Do you believe God gives good gifts to his people? If you are a child of God, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a child of God, then you then God loves you. and, he, and Well, God loves you anyway, but then God is, is doing good things for you. He's not going to punish you if you're a child of God. Um, a couple more, and then I think we're... How about this one? Who hasn't read yet? Okay, Laura? What are the Lord pleases he does in heaven and in earth and the seas and in all deeps? Okay, so what I say are the two things people sometimes get messed up about God? What's the, what's the two things? One, they, they wonder, is God really good? What's the other one? Is God really powerful? What does this say? Whatever the Lord pleases he does in heaven, on earth, in the seas, in all the deeps, in the water. Okay, in the deep. Remember the, the, the how how powerful Hurricane Harvey was. You saw the. We're getting ready to see another hurricane come. How powerful that is. Can you can you stand out and like stop it from coming? Like, there's that video of the guy with the American flag with his shirt off. Have you seen that video with his long hair? He's like standing in the rain and he's like doing like this and he's like swinging his hair around. And there's like electric guitar music playing or something. I don't know. It's amazing. It's like a guy just facing the elements. What what can he really do? Okay, he's he's a he's a he's a little man. He's YouTube famous, but but really, I mean, he stands he stands no chance. If there were, did y'all see the tsunamis that come through and just you stand no chance to that. God, he's in control. He he can control. He is. Remember what Jesus does when the winds and the waves are rocking that boat. He comes out. What does he say? Peace be still, and everything's calm. And they look at him and they say, "Who is? what kind of man is this that even the winds and the waves listen to his voice? The only kind of person who can do that is God himself. Um, some long verses here. And if you have your Bible, turn here. Because I want to spend some time here. And this is where we'll, um, we'll spend the majority of our time. Uh, this passage, uh, Psalm 139, 1 through 5. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down 
And when I rise up, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down. You are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. What do you feel when you read that? Do you feel, don't answer, do you feel claustrophobic? Or do you feel comforted? Because if you know God, it's a comforting feeling. If you don't know somebody, if you don't know God, it's uncomfortable. I'll give you an example. How many of you like uh, hate family reunions? Like you just hate them. Okay. Why? Because there's that uncle. <laughs> or there's that great aunt who comes up to you and gives you a hug and it's super uncomfortable. They like, like hold you and you're like, just get me out of here. Right? What this is saying is that God has searched me. He knows everything about me. And when we are rebelling against God, when we don't want God to be part of our life, just the fact that we know that God knows everything about us is uncomfortable. We're like, you know, I'd rather that not be the case. I want a little bit of privacy. But the truth is, is that the more you know God and the greater you they draw closer to God, the more that this truth is actually a very comforting thing. Like after, like right now, when my kids were six, four, and one and a half, um, when there's a storm, the other night there was a huge uh, thunderstorm that came through, and my kids jumped out of bed and they ran to us, and they wanted to cuddle with my wife. They wanted to get in her lap and they wanted her to hold them. And uh, they do that because she provides security to them. Now, what she's going to do for a thunderstorm, I don't know. <laughs> like, really, what can she do? There's nothing that she can actually do, but it provides security for them because she's close. Um, I think another interesting uh, thing about this, it talks about we can't go anywhere from God. If you have your Bible, I just want to point out something that I think is, is super cool. Verse 7. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, that's the grave. Behold, you're there. Look at verse 9. Who can read verse 9? Does somebody have it? Okay. Um, Augustine? Keep going. Okay. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, what in the world is that talking about? Um, you know, we're talking about poetry here, so sometimes the language can be a little bit descriptive. But uh, wings in the in the Bible often talks about speed. Okay, wings. If something is talking about wings, now unless it's talking about gigantic wings, and it's talking about stability or whatever. But often wings has to communicate, like in, in prophecy, if something, if an animal, like some sort of leopard. Remember, there's a leopard with wings on it. That means it has great speed. Um, read this again. If I take the wings of the dawn. The wings of the morning. How many of you... Um, okay, we live on the East Coast. But if you know where David lives, he wrote this, he lived on the Mediterranean Sea. And the, if you look at a map of that, um, where is the ocean if you're standing on the land? It's to the west. Okay, so if you're in David's shoes and you're standing and you're looking at the ocean, you're on a hill or something, you're looking out over the sea, and the morning comes, where's the morning coming from? behind you, right? So imagine, just imagine, picture in your head that the sun is rising behind you and as soon as the dawn peeks through the hills it is already at the uttermost parts of the sea. So if I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, what he's saying is, even if I had 
the speed of light to go all the way out there as fast as the light. As soon as the light has shined, it's already there. It's, it's, it's that fast. And, and that's when we were in Hawaii, I actually took our teens. We went and we saw a sunset over the ocean. And, and it's amazing. We did the same thing. I showed them the whole thing. And that's exactly what he's saying. If I take the speed of light and I go all the way down there with the sun, even there you'll be with me. It doesn't matter. I can't escape you. God is with us all the time. Um, a couple more. Great is the Lord. Hallelujah. We praise his greatness is unsearchable. God is great. He's not trite. He's a great God. And as I said last week, this isn't, you know, they're great, you know, like <laughs> frosted flakes. This is a seriousness. There's a heaviness to this great greatness. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. He's righteous. He's kind. Again, these are things towards us. So some questions. Did we get to this last week? I don't think we did. Why do you think God chose to reveal himself through the written word like this? What do you think? Why didn't God just like speak to you in your dreams, Jacob? What do you think? Yeah. In fact, it says that. In, in, uh, in the Bible, actually tells us that. You have your Bible in 2 Peter chapter 1. She says it's more verifiable. Like, I can actually take the word of God and I can show you. I can say, look at this. This is what God says. If, I, if it was just my dreams or an experience. Like, how many of you have ever had an experience, which is amazing? You go to tell somebody and, you, and you're trying to explain to them how awesome it was. And you're not a very good storyteller. So you're like, and then this happened. And they were like, what? And I was like, huh? And it was like, wow. And you're telling the story, and you're doing the best you can with the vocabulary that you have, you know, and, and you're and you're just ah, you're not getting it, and they're just, they're like uh huh uh huh, and you're like you just had to be there, you had to be there. Um, well, the thing is, is that uh, that's impossible. We can't always be everywhere. So the Bible actually tells us in Second Peter, if I can find it, First um, Peter, Second Peter, uh, chapter one. He actually says. Um, in verse 16, I won't read it all to you, but you start in verse 16, you study it. Peter's saying, look, we were there when Jesus was transfigured and he was made and his face was made bright like an angel. We we're on the mountain with him. We saw it all with our face, or with our eyes, and we beheld his glory. And we were we heard the voice from heaven come and say, this is my beloved son. Like God's voice came out of heaven and spoke to us. Like we were there. We saw it all happen. You, you, you have no idea how amazing our lives transforming this was. And then he says something Incredible, He says, we have a prophetic word more sure. That is, we have the word of God, which is actually more sure than my experience. Because guess what? Your experiences, they, they, they can fade with memory. Have you ever had a false memory? You, thought, you really thought about it, you knew something, but then after a while you're like, somebody corrects you and you realize, oh, I was actually, I actually didn't remember that that way. The word of God is more sure than that because like you're saying, it's verifiable. You can, you can, Take it and see it in black and white. It's it's objective. It's objective. It's not subjective. It's not depends on your own personality or your own take on it. Um, okay, we have like five minutes to get started on this next lesson. So I want to at least get us going, and then I'll turn it over for our. Is that okay, Brandon? Um, okay, five minutes more until quarter till. Okay, so if you turn to uh, lesson two. 
We're going to talk about what does God say about going to heaven. And this is, so we talk about who God is. Um, who can tell us, um, who can read the myth first for us from the top of that sheet or on the, on the page? Yes, ma'am. What's the myth? What do people sometimes say? I could never know for sure if I don't go to heaven. Yeah, some people say this. You ask them, so, hey, uh, if you die tomorrow, would you go to, or die tonight, would you go to heaven? People say, well, I hope so. What are they saying by saying, I hope so? Huh? They're saying, I don't know. I'm da- I doubt. Like, wait, wait. Like, if I said, uh, what's your name? And you say, uh, I hope it's Hannah. <laughs> like, no, what are you, like, are you Hannah or are you not Hannah? Like, what, what's your name? And you know that. There's no doubt in your mind what your name is. Why would you doubt something so serious? Wouldn't you want to know if it was possible to know? So the truth is what? Just somebody read it. God has told you Okay, the Bible actually gives us clear instructions that you can know for certain. You don't have to, like, hope that when you die, you make it. God actually tells us that we can know for sure. Um, so, I don't know if we have this. Or I don't, let's see here. The Bible actually teaches me. Okay, you have already learned you cannot know God unless he reveals himself to you. The same is true for the question of how to get to heaven. You don't want to risk being wrong on such an important matter. I'm reading the little box there. Moreover, it is not hidden from you. How to get eternal life is revealed clearly and simply in God's word, the Bible. Some people say all religions are the same, but actually what you find is that this. What the Bible teaches on the subject of eternal life is actually the opposite of what is taught by every other religion in the whole world. That's true. And, and this is not exactly explicitly here. It's spelled out, but I just want to do it in this, this simple way. Almost every religion in the world... Let's see if I can draw here. I don't know if it's going to let me do this. I really wish it would. Use the pendulum machine. Okay. Let's see if it's going to let me. Nope. I'm sorry. Pretend like I'm drawing. <laughs> in, in, uh, in every religion in the world is is a do religion. You've got to do these things, and if you do these things, God accepts you. Okay. You got to follow our religion. Every religion in the world is like this. The Bible's truth is not do, it's done. It's that what Jesus did on the cross is all you need. That it's not about what you do. You, what you do doesn't change anything. You, could, you couldn't do enough good stuff to get to heaven. There's nothing, there's no many hours you could work here. It's like, I want to be as rich as Bill Gates. Okay, awesome. How many hours of work do I need to work at Starbucks to get as rich as Bill Gates? You would be dead <laughs> before. You don't have enough hours in the day to get as rich as Bill Gates working at Starbucks. You don't have enough righteousness to get to heaven on your own. The Bible tells us that a single sin is enough to keep you out of heaven. Same here. What the Bible teaches is that is the exact opposite of what every other religion in the world teaches. Um, eternal life, uh, number one. Eternal life is something God wants you to be sure about. 1 John 5.13, according to this verse, what can I know for sure? This is the question number one. What can you know for sure according to 1 John 5.13? Who wants to read that for us and give it a shot? Okay, so what is it that we can know for sure? Yeah, you can actually. He says, actually, I wrote these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that there's a purpose. You can know you have eternal life. That's the whole reason he wrote. All of the religions of the world, eternal life is based on something a person does in this life. Here's what I mean by do, right? What are some things people might try to do to get to heaven? Maybe you thought this, maybe you've heard people talk about it. Go to church. 
That's that's what I talk to people all the time. That's what they say. Right? They try to go to church. Pray. Yeah, get baptized. Be a good person in general. Be a good person. Yeah, I, I try to be good. I, when I talk to people, I say, "What you know? Do you know for sure you're going to heaven?" Well, I, I try. I try real hard. Okay, what do you try? I try to be good, as if that will get them into heaven. Being a good person won't get you in heaven. You can't be a good person. Okay, what else? Loving people, giving money, put down. Um, Giving to the poor, praying, reading the Bible, loving as many people as possible, somebody told me. Let's stop with this last question here because I want to get to this point and then we'll go through the truths next week. Um, number three, although their rules might differ in all other religions, there is always something the person must do to gain eternal life. These good things people do are what the Bible calls works or works of righteousness. We have two verses here. Read the following verses, and what does God say about man's works? What does God actually say? This is what we're going to over and over again. We're going to what the Bible says, not what do you think, what do you imagine, what does the Bible actually say? It just did that. Who wants to read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9? Oh, Lindsay. For by grace, you have saints your faith, and then out of yourselves it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one would boast. <clears throat> by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It's a gift. Getting this in, in next probably next week. But if if you were if I were, uh, last week y'all gave me a cake for my birthday, I really appreciate that. That was really kind. Thank you. So I uh, I had that cake and I was, was really excited for it. Now what if um, I went up to Lindsay? I think who probably bought the cake and I and I gave her like twelve dollars or whatever, ten bucks or whatever for the cake. Is it a gift anymore? No. What if uh, somebody gives you a Christmas gift and then they're like, oh, now that you have this, I need you to cut my grass and I need you to weed eat my lawn once a week for the next three months in order to pay for the, the gift. Is that a gift still? No, because you work for it. If it's a result of works, it's not a gift. And the Bible says salvation is a gift. So you can't earn it. Even if, even if you could earn it, you couldn't do enough. But it is a gift that's value is impossible to and, and, and so impossible to measure. Uh, Titus three five. I don't know if you ever see that. Who can read this? Yes, ma'am. He saved us. God saved us. You didn't save yourself. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. It's not about what you do according to God's mercy. He washed you and he renewed you by the Holy Spirit. You cannot do enough good stuff to be saved. It's impossible. God will save you not on the basis of your deeds. This is liberating. People live their whole lives working and trying, crawling on their knees. Have you seen people crawling on their knees in these third world, third world countries? Up steps, up stone steps, getting bloody knees, crawling because they want to make uh, atonement for their sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he made atonement for your sins. And when he died, what's the last words he said? It is finished. Meaning that it's done. You don't have to pay for any sins anymore. Why are you trying to pay for your sins? You can't pay for your sins. Except if you were to die, the wages of sin, the Bible says, and we'll get this later, is death. In order to pay for sins, you have to die. Which is why Christ died. But he's God. And so by dying, then he rose from the dead, defeating death and giving us life. 
So um, this is some of the most liberating truth you could ever latch on to. I hope that you can really let it sink into your brain, even if you're saved already. Let it sink in and really, really marinate so you can uh, have, a, have a real uh, appreciation for what Christ has done. And with that, I have gone one minute over. I'll turn it back over for our groups, our small group time now. Thanks, everybody. And, and oh, these are yours to keep. Take them home, and if you all could, if you have the time, do the rest of Lesson 2 this week on your own time. Maybe you have some time in the morning you like to study the Word of God. And we'll come back, and, and I think uh, you'll find it really helpful next time we get together.